All right, if you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to the book of Mark. Continuing in the book of Mark. Uh, so the, uh, so here's kind of the game plan. So we'll be in Mark today. We're going to finish maybe a, a section of Mark together in Mark chapter 6. And then next week, God willing, we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, so be praying for me. Ecclesiastes is a tough book. It's a heavy book. Uh, so be praying for me as we open up that sermon series next week. And then after that, we'll come back to Mark. And so we'll be playing around in Mark uh, for 2020, interspersed with other uh, passages, other sermon series. So if you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one in the pew back in front of you. Uh, we'd love for you to open that up. Um, we hope you're not just interested in my ideas because they're not worth very much. We hope you're interested in the Word of God. Uh, and that's what we do here. So open that blue one up if you, if you need a Bible. If you need a Bible, take that blue one home with you. We'd love for that to be a gift from us to make this a very special day by you coming, and we'd love for that to be our gift to you. Mark chapter 6. Okay, um, for those of you that know me, I am the biggest city boy you will ever see in your entire life. Biggest city boy. I mean, just, uh, hey. Oh, if he wasn't that big, I'd probably fight him, but um, I'm biggest big city boy. I am not a fisherman. I'm not a fisherman. Uh, my childhood days with my grandpa, I remember fondly, he's a big fisherman, and I can remember sitting in the boat. I remember one year, I, I wanted to read my book instead of fishing. I remember uh, one year, every time I'd cast, I'd lose all the bait on the hook, and we had to reel it back in and rebait it. I remember one year, I dropped the pole over the side of the boat. Uh, fishing and me, we just don't get along. We don't mix. And that's me. I know some of you love, love, love fishing. I understand you love fishing. I know that about you. I might not get it, but I know that you love fishing. And that's okay. You can love fishing. And I cannot love fishing. And the worst thing that might happen is that you might think I'm lame. Or rather, you might find out I'm lame. It's like the worst thing that'll happen. That kind of fishing is optional. You can like it, I can like it. You cannot like it, I can like it. It doesn't matter. That kind of fishing is optional. But as we know as believers, not all fishing is optional. Not all fishing is optional. Today we're going to talk once again once again, once again, we are going to see clearly that God has left His people on earth for a purpose. Christian, when you came to Christ, Jesus did not beam you up to heaven at that very moment because He has a purpose for your life. Our purpose is to glorify God by being fishers of men. You remember that phrase? Our purpose in this life, the reason God has left us here, the reason, the number one reason that we meet as Trinity Baptist Church is to glorify God by making faithful followers of Jesus. If we have another purpose, we might as well close the doors. Our purpose isn't to gather with people we like and hang out as a country club. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to make faithful followers of Jesus. Our purpose, in other words, just as men catch fish, we catch new faithful followers of Jesus. That's our purpose. We get this term, fish, fishers of men, from when in the book of Mark, you remember this, we started, this was chapter one, so this was months ago. We get this phrase, Jesus is walking by the sea. Do you remember this? He sees some of his will-be disciples out there fishing. You know what he does? You follow me, and I will make you fishers of Men, they throw down their nets and they follow Him. Christian, that is Jesus' message to you. You 
follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's Jesus' message to all of us. I will make you fishers of men. There are many true things that Jesus could have said to these disciples. He could have said, you follow me and I will make you right with God. Jesus does that, doesn't He? He could have said that. He could have said, you follow me and I will make you saved from hell. He could have said that. And that would have been true. And that would have been a good thing. He could have said, you follow me and I will make you repent. That's Jesus' sermon that he's going to be preaching over and over again. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. He could have said that, but he didn't. He could have said, I, he could have said to these men, you, Peter, follow me and I will make you a leader in the church. He could have said that, but he didn't say that. He could have said, you follow me and I will make you citizens of the kingdom of heaven. He could have said that and it would have been true, but he didn't say those things. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. My friends, faithful followers of Jesus, follow me, faithful followers of Jesus, make faithful followers of Jesus. Faithful followers of Jesus know and recognize their purpose is to make faithful followers of Jesus. To follow Jesus is to find yourself in the occupation of spiritual fishing. To follow Jesus is to find yourself pursuing sinners like fishermen pursue fish. To follow Jesus is to find yourself pursuing sinners with the good news of Jesus like a fisherman pursues fish with a net. And so in Mark 6, 1-13, which we're going to visit together in one moment, we see that the disciples who have been following Jesus this whole time are finally fishing. They, they have been taught the good news of Jesus. He has, he has shaped them. And Jesus says, now is the time. You've been following me. Now you're going to follow me into your purpose in life. And so, in this passage, we'll see the disciples finally fishing and we can glean some insights into what Jesus expects from us, from our efforts to glorify God by making faithful followers of Jesus. So let's read together. Mark chapter 6. This is big number 6. We're going to read to little number 13. Mark chapter 6 to little number 13. We're going to read this, talk about a few details, and then we're going to glean some, some particular insights into how we are to be making faithful followers. So it goes like this. He went away from there, Jesus, and came to His hometown. And the disciples followed him there's that word again the disciples followed him and on the sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue he began to teach in the church and many who heard him were astonished saying where did this man get these things what is the wisdom given to him how are such mighty works done by his hands is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Remember her? The son of Mary? And brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. They marveled because of his message. He marveled at them because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching 
And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits, over the demons. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. There's that message again. They proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now skip over for one more verse. Let's go to 30. We got a quick story in between, and then this kind of ends their mission. Uh, Verse 30 says this, The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. Okay. All right. so what do we have here? We've got a story about Jesus returning home. He's returning to His hometown. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, like we all know, Grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was his hometown. It's a teeny tiny town of about 500 people. Have you ever lived in a town of 500 people? Everybody knows everybody else's business. Mallory and I lived in the first town we lived in together. It was a town of 400 people. Everybody knows everybody's business. Okay? Everybody does. Jesus returns to this teeny tiny town where everybody knows him. Everybody's heard of the things that he's been doing. And Jesus is invited to teach in his home church. He's probably teaching in the synagogue he grew up in. Think about that. It's like having one of our kids, seeing them grow up, all the bumps and bruises and mistakes and all these things that they've experienced, and we know them well, and they go off and they come back and they preach a sermon. It's kind of what we've got going on here. He's preaching this sermon in front of people he has known his entire life. Now, when someone comes to preach, to speak to you in the synagogue, there's very clear guidelines to what they need to be doing. We know this about preaching in the synagogue. This is what, this is quotation, this is what was to be expected of a speaker in the synagogue. He was to have a good figure. A pleasant expression. A melodious voice. His words coming like those of a bride to a bridegroom. Fluency. Speech sweet as honey, pleasant as milk and honey, finely sifted like flour, diction richly adorned like a bride on her wedding day, and sufficient confidence never to be disoriented. Above all, he had to avoid being too personal. That's what they expect of someone speaking at a synagogue. We might expect similar things from someone preaching. If that's what they're expecting, that is not what Jesus gave them. Knowing Jesus, knowing what He has been preaching, they expected someone to not get too personal. Maybe they expected Jesus to talk about those Gentiles and how they're going to hell, but how we are God's people and we are perfect little Unique snowflakes. Jesus did not preach that. Jesus probably got very personal. I don't think He aired everybody's dirty laundry. I think He got personal in this way. We must, you must, repent for the kingdom of God is near. What do you mean I need to repent? I'm a, I'm a member of Trinity Baptist Church. I've got my life in order. What do you mean I need to repent? know who you're talking to? Jesus, don't you know who you're talking to? Who are you to talk to me this way? I know your family, Jesus. Son of Mary. Jesus, you think we buy that stuff about an angel? We know where you come from, Jesus. We know the circumstances from your birth. 
Who are you to talk to me this way? I remember all the rumors that swirled about your sketchy conception. You're probably conceived out of wedlock. It's shameful that you would preach to me this way. These people were scandalized and spiritually deeply offended. The Greek there says they were knocked out. You ever been knocked out by a sermon? They were knocked out. Their physical knowledge of Jesus. The carpenter. How's he getting all this wisdom? Who's he think he is? Just, he works with his hands just like us. He grew up in that, that little shack down the road. I know exactly. Who, who does he think he is to talk about me that way? They were letting their physical knowledge of Jesus dissuade them from having spiritual knowledge of Jesus. So Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor. People honor a prophet. People recognize a prophet. They're not, a prophet's not without honor except in his hometown with his family in his household. My dad calls this the diaper syndrome. If you change someone's diaper, they've got nothing to teach you. Right? If you've ever changed someone's diaper, they've got nothing to teach you. That's what's going on here. And this lack of faith, this hard-heartedness meant that Jesus was not going to show His power. It says it this way, He could do no mighty work here. Could Jesus really do no mighty work? Did that zap Him of His power? No. Jesus can do what He wants, when He wants. But the catalyst, as we've seen in the book of Mark, the catalyst for physical and spiritual healing. Remember, those things go together. Jesus heals physically to show us that He can heal spiritually. Okay? These two things, this, the catalyst for physical and spiritual healing in Mark is faith. Your faith has healed you. How often do we, do we see that? Your faith has healed you. We've seen Jesus leave huge crowds who are there just for the quote-unquote magic tricks. Says, I'm, not doing, I'm not doing these for magic. I'm not doing these to entertain you. I'm doing these, these physical, miraculous feats so that you will know that I am the Son of God here to save sinners. So he sees the hard-heartedness. What does it say? Even in his compassion... He heals a few people, but that's all. And then maybe the most tragic sentence in all of Mark so far is this, and he marveled at their disbelief. They were knocked out by his sermon. He was knocked out that this group of people could not believe. Think about that. Jesus grew up in their town he was the sinless little boy. Would that stand out? Sunday school teachers, if you had a sinless little boy in your class, would you know it? Yeah, you would know it. He grew up sinless. A sinless teenager. Can you imagine that, parents? A sinless teenager running around your town, hearing stories about his miraculous healings, about his miraculous works, about his sermons. I mean, what group of people should have enough evidence to have faith in this man? Go beyond that. His household. And they heard the Word of God from the source of the Word of God. Jesus preaching is the Word of God speaking the Word of God. They heard that within their midst and they rejected Him. And Jesus is knocked out. Jesus is knocked out. He is knocked out at their hard-heartedness. We can imagine thinking this, if, if these people aren't saved, how many people are saved with so much less? How many people are saved with so much less? Now, we finish that and it's time for the disciples to go and fish. It's time for the disciples to make disciples. It's time for the faithful followers to make faithful followers of Jesus. He sends them out two by two for safety reasons. He established two, two people, two voices, established the message. You know, if you have one guy, 
saying something, you might well, I don't know. two people saying it adds some depth to their claims that Jesus is God. He tells them to go out with nothing but a staff, not even a second tunic. You would have one, you'd wear one and you'd use one for a blanket. He said, don't even, don't even get a blanket. Don't even bring a blanket. When someone invites you to stay, be in the household until you leave town. Don't come in, share the gospel, be invited in by the poor family in town, and then when the rich person in town invites you, say, well, i got a better offer, I'm going this way. Don't do that. The household that invites you, stay there. Plant roots. We could do a whole sermon on the importance of Christian community. God wants you to plant roots. Why do we, why do we try to push small groups? Because God wants you to plant roots with people. Get to know people. They, they are out. They're preaching. What are they preaching? Preaching repentance. They're casting out demons and anointing with oil many who were sick. The disciples are finally fishing. They're finally in the business of making faithful followers. For Mark, this first send-out, this first mission of the disciples is like a charter to you and me. It's a, it's a command. It's a mission to you and me. This is the first mission given for faithful followers of Jesus. Now, as we see, as we see these things, we must realize there's some, there's some uh, her- hermeneutics here, some understanding of what applies to us and what applies just to the original intended disciples. Not every detail of this account is a command for me personally. So, we don't require you to wear sandals every time you come to church. Anybody wearing sandals? We got one? I preached my first sermon in sandals. Can you believe that? My mom would have killed me. We don't require you to wear sandals. He tells them, don't, don't, you don't need to wear sandals. I don't want to see you next Sunday with a bunch of, of sticks, right? A bunch of staffs. I'll get really scared if I see the congregation with a bunch of sticks, okay? Don't do that. We don't send our missionaries. We've been collecting money for Lottie Moon. We don't send our missionaries and say, well, Mark 6 tells us that you need to go with no food, no money, no clothes, none of that. You go on, good luck. We don't do that. Those details are for this group, not pertaining to us. When someone doesn't like my sermon, I don't shake the dust at them. That might be a good idea. No, no, I won't. No, no. We don't do those things. So in this section, there are details that are just for the disciples in that particular time, but there are also principles that those details come from that I think apply to us in our mission to make faithful followers of Jesus. First principle that I see. First principle in being fishers of men. In Jesus' physical absence, He is using the church to make faithful followers. Why now, Jesus? We've watched these disciples. They're still not getting everything You're putting down. They're still not smelling what You're stepping in. They still don't quite understand where You're going. Why now? Why send the disciples out now? Well, Jesus sends the disciples out now because He has come to preach repentance and good news in order to transform sinners into faithful followers, but Jesus is going to die. Jesus is going to be raised again. And Jesus is going to sit at the right hand of the Father. He's not going to be around physically in the disciples' ministry. The church, the church, the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit to march on with Jesus' message to save sinners. He's not here. He's not physically here. He is spiritually here. He is not physically here. He is spiritually here in you. That is how Jesus will bring the gospel to the world. He has decided to use you and use me. 
God receives glory when men and women he saves and transforms are so overcome with gratitude and joy that we cannot hide the gospel, but we are compelled to share the good news that Jesus saves sinners like us. The proof is in the pudding. He saved you. You are the message and the messenger. Jesus saves sinners. What better way to deliver that message and put it in the mouth of a sinner? Fabulous. Jesus has chosen to use the church to spread the message. A tremendous proof of the power of God and the value of God is when people can't shut up about how awesome He is. That we, are be, we, that we are willing. Listen, preacher, that's hard. This stuff's hard. I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't like being vulnerable. I don't like putting myself out there. That we are willing to be vulnerable, that we are willing to put ourselves out there, that we are so captured and enraptured by the good news of Jesus, that we are so amazed that he has saved us, that we are willing to be vulnerable and to share Jesus is evidence of the value of the gospel. That we are willing to enter into an awkward conversation is evidence of the power of the gospel. I'm wearing my Chiefs socks today. I am not at all ashamed to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Now, a few years ago I was, but not now. I'm not ashamed to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan. I will tell anybody in the world that I like the Kansas City Chiefs. Why? I value them. I think they're a great team. I love watching them. I get excited. It makes me excited. And the same is true and infinitely more so of the gospel. When my life is enraptured by the gospel and I understand the value of it, when I see and comprehend and meditate on the good work that Jesus has done for me and in me. It should well up in me a desire to share it. And it's awkward. It's stepping into those awkward places. It's stepping into those scary places just reveals how awesome the good news of Jesus is. If it were easy, it wouldn't be evidence of the value. The chiefs are easy to talk about. So I've got no skin in the game. It's not really valuable. It doesn't matter. The evidence of it being difficult is the evidence of the value. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it, but the sacrifice that comes from being, being scared and awkward and vulnerable, that proves the gospel is worth sharing. And friends, n- nothing else is like that in the world. People don't like being awkward. People don't like being awkward. People don't like being vulnerable. And so for us to say this message is so important that I'm willing to step into these awkward, scary conversations is evidence of the value of the Gospel. Are you with me? I hope I'm clear on that. Isn't that sharing the Gospel, isn't that what we pay you for, preacher? Isn't that what we pray, pay you for, preacher? No. You pay me so that I can preach the Word of God. And as the Bible says, you pay me so that I can equip the saints for work in ministry. It's, it's, our, it's our job. Mark's message is to, to the followers of Jesus, watch, watch this and participate. If you, don't, if you don't quite buy into this, if you need more prompting, I had seven or eight verses here, but I'm just going to give you I'm going to give you four. If, you, if you're not quite on board with this being everybody's job, let me give you a few more. Acts 13.47 For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you 
a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You, your purpose, be a light to the lost, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And a life dedicated to that sentence at whatever cost is a life worth lived. Bailey and I just read, I think I told you this, Bailey and I just read a biography of Lottie Moon. We, a Lottie Moon offering a uh, hundred years ago, she, she went, hundred plus years ago, she went to China, gave her life for China, lived there decade after decade after decade. Everyone in the world would go and see her house and see the way that she lived and go, wow, that is a wasted life. At the end of her life, there was great famine and great turmoil in China, and she gave all of her food and her money away until she wasted away. This woman was 50 pounds at the end of her life. She died on a boat trying to go to a hospital in Japan. Gave 50 years, 60 years to China. That life that was poor, that was suffering, that was persecuted, that ends up wasting away physically, that life that was committed to this sentence being a light for the lost to bring salvation to the ends of the earth, that life is a life worth lived. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But you, 1 Peter 2.9, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. That, all these things, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for His own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Why are you a royal priesthood church? So that you can proclaim His excellencies. And finally, Mark 1.17, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We are Jesus' physical message and His messengers. Second principle. The message we bring. What do we, what do, we do? What do we bring? What do we say? The message we bring is a message of repentance. Repentance. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus. Repentance coated in compassion and totally dependent on God. The disciples taught repentance. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Verse 12. Why are we proclaiming repentance? Why were they pro proclaiming repentance? Because they heard that out of Jesus' mouth every time. They heard Him speak. Repentance, 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 repentance. They preached that because Jesus preached that. And Christian repentance is this. Christian, stop following sin and start following Jesus. That's Christian repentance. Stop following sin and start following Jesus. We all at once follow the seductive call of sin that leads us down the path that leads to death and hell. And to repent is to stop following sin and to start following Jesus. Well, how do I know? I mean, I still sin. We still sin as believers. So how do, it's, it's, I, I want to I be more, okay, how about this? How about this? To repent is to ask this question, who am I married to? Am I married to sin or am I married to Jesus? Who are you married to? Who are you in a committed relationship with? Which relationship are you working on to improve? 
Husbands and wives work for the flourishing of their spouses. Which are you working to flourish? Do you want your sin to flourish? You want Jesus to flourish. Repentance leads to the good news about Jesus. We are all carrying the burden and guilt of our sins. Our sin has broken us and it's broken our relationship with God. And all who follow sin, Ephesians 2, all who follow sin are children of wrath. We keep walking down that path following sin, married to sin with the burden of sin and guilt on our back. We are going to end up as children of wrath in hell. But... In His great love for us, God sent Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so the message is, repent! Turn from that way! Turn to Jesus! Jesus has come and He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. Repent and believe. My friends, that is the urgent need of everyone around us. Repentance is the urgent need of everyone around us. Not self-esteem. Not wealth. Not human prosperity. All of those things are... That's not our urgent need. Our urgent need is to repent and be made into a child of God. That's our urgent need. So... But this alone, this repentance alone, what might we do? You need to repent, you stinking sinner. When we say it that way, do we really want them to repent? No, probably not. We want them to stay in their sin, go to hell so I can feel better about myself. Repent, repent. If repentance coded in compassion. We see the disciples preaching repentance. Their primary message is to repeat, preach repentance. And secondarily, what they've done is they've coded it in compassion by working on the physical needs of the people around them and their well-being. They heal this person. They cast out demons. This person, our message of repentance is not brash and uncaring and cold and unfeeling. It's not Bible bashing. It's not drive-by shaming. Our message of repentance is coded in compassion. The point of our message of repentance should not leave them feeling guilty with no means of relief. If our message brings guilt as part of repentance, understanding the guilt that we're under, but if we bring up that guilt and that understanding of who they are and they're the children of wrath, if we do that without bringing relief in the, in the good news of Jesus, we are not preaching Jesus. We preach, preach repentance And we say, but it's okay. There's relief. There's relief. We don't leave them feeling guilty. We leave them with an an avenue of relief, with a means of relief. Turn from your sins and, and follow Jesus and He will take your burdens and He will wipe you clean and He will take the punishment for your sins and He will make you into a child of God and He will transform you into His image. And our message of, of, of coded in compassion also means that all of, your, saying all of your true needs in this life are fulfilled in Jesus. And you're starving. All of your true needs are found met in Jesus and you're starving. Well, listen, I'm from Jesus. Let me help you find some food. All your true needs in life are fulfilled in Jesus And you're naked, let me buy you some clothes. And you're hurting, let me suffer with you. You see, the disciples preached repentance in such a way that they were invited into homes. Their preaching isn't a hateful, sign-holding, screaming message of Westboro Baptist Church. Their message is repent, which is not an easy message to hear, but it is coded in compassion in such a way that people say, I want to hear more. Come stay with me. Where possible, 
Sometimes you'll be in, on an airplane and the person next to you and you'll share the Gospel that way and you don't really know them. That's, that's good too. But where possible, compassionate relationships with non-believers make a call for repentance feel like a drink of soothing medicine. Another way we could say this and another, another dimension of this. My friends, your unchurched friends or family will come to church on the arm of a trusted friend. Messages of repentance, coded in compassion, and totally dependent on God. Take nothing. Tell the disciples, take nothing. Don't take bread. Don't take money. Don't take a spare tunic. Don't take a bag. Don't take anything. Total dependence on God. I don't know where I'm going to get my next meal. God will provide that. This is a display of total dependence on God in our effort to make faithful followers of Jesus. The best sermon I preach that's preached in my power with my ideas that is incredibly compelling and funny and charismatic, all these things, if it is devoid of a dependency on God, will co- nothing good will come from that sermon. And we heard this in Mark chapter 4. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters the seed on the ground. This is us. Scatters the seed on the ground. Shares the gospel with those around us. Night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and it grows. Though he does not know how. We share the gospel. Totally dependent on God. We, we put it out there. We try to live it our life. We find joy. Try to explain how joyful it is to follow Jesus. We share that. Share the good news. Invite people to church. And we realize it's not on us. The most bumbling invitation to follow Jesus can bring about the salvation of a man or a woman lost in sin. Why? Because we're totally dependent on God. What if I don't know what to say? if I don't know what to say. Matthew 10 says it this way. Jesus says, on my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how to respond or what to say. In that hour, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that comforting? Repentance, repentance in the gospel, coded in compassionate relationship, totally dependent on God. And finally, rejection. How many of us are afraid to do this because we're afraid of rejection? Isn't that fear something so deep down? Isn't that fear of rejection something that we all got when we were three or four? I recognize that fear in my daughters. This fear of being rejected by someone. Do you feel that yourself? Is that maybe why we are hesitant to share the good news? Is that maybe why we are afraid to invite someone to church? We must understand that rejection is not failure. Disobedience is failure. Rejection is not failure. If they won't listen, Jesus says, shake the dust off. Shake the dust off not your fault that's up to them shake the dust off if you are rejected you are in good company if rejection is failure jesus was the worst fisher of men among us we've seen jesus these last five chapters we've seen jesus preach and teach and do miracles and what does he do most often he gets this huge crowd following him we think man that's the guy i want as a preacher look at this look at this huge crowd what does he do he sees the huge crowd and he takes off and leaves that's not how you grow a mega church We see Jesus come into his family, come into his friends, people who knew him intimately. He preaches and what happens? Total rejection. If we we view rejection as failure, we will more than likely be disobedient. If a church believes that rejection, someone coming in among us, hearing the sermon, singing with us, seeing us, and not coming back, if we think that is failure, 
if we think that rejection is failure, we might be likely to be disobedient. We will be li- it will be likely that we will dilute the message to avoid rejection. If we think rejection is failure, we might dilute the message of the gospel in order to avoid rejection. Maybe we don't talk about re- repentance, preacher. I brought my friend today. Today's the day he came to talk about repentance. Couldn't you talk about, I don't know, going to heaven? Just, just heaven? Just stick with heaven. Maybe if we think rejection is, fa- is failure, maybe we, don't, uh, maybe we promise that Jesus will always heal you and make your life better now. Maybe that's what we preach. There's a lot of big churches that do that. Biggest churches in America will tell you God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise all the time. Sorry, healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. How about that? He wants you to be wise. Healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And none of that is true. We are successful in being fishers of men when we share Jesus because we are obeying Him. We are making Him look glorious. And God is determined to produce in us a joy in Him in which we can't keep to ourselves. That is success. The rest is up to God. Let me leave you with this. Here's a few questions to ask ourselves. And being fishers of men, here's a few questions I want to bring up. If, I'm, if, if, I'm, if we're fishers of men, preacher, okay, we've got to ask ourselves these questions. Number one, do I find joy in Jesus which I can't keep to myself? If not, why not? Ask yourself this, and man, as a preacher in this Trinity bubble, this is one I have to ask myself often. Do I have a relationship with anyone who is, the best I can tell, who is not a Christian? Do you have someone in your life who's not a believer that you have a relationship with? And if so, do they know I am a Christian? If not, why not? And if I have this relationship with someone who knows I'm a Christian, in what way in their life might God be preparing their heart for me to speak the good news of Jesus? For instance, is their their marriage a mess? Boy, the person at work, boy, I just just don't even want to go home. We've been fighting, my wife and I have been fighting like crazy. Boy, that's a prepared heart for the good news of Jesus. Man, I know, marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. But you know what, you know what I've come to realize and I've come to, I've come to learn? That 50% of the hard part of marriage is me. And I've learned what has made my marriage worth going home to is that I've learned to love my wife like Jesus loves me. What are you talking about? That's weird. Well, let me tell you how Jesus loves me, how I try to love my wife. The person that you know, are they always, this is an easy one, are they always railing against Trump or the Democrats? It's an easy one. Next time somebody works there, oh, that Trump or those Democrats. Man, I know everything in Washington is a mess. Good thing they aren't really in charge. You say, who's in charge? Jesus, King of Kings. So I, don't worry, I don't worry too much about that. Are they lonely? I can tell you what helps me when I'm lonely. God has promised He will never leave me and forsake me. And if I'm alone here, I know someday I'll be with God and my brothers and sisters in Christ forever. Do they sound purposeless? Listen, I remember feeling that way until I realized who my life was really all about. Are they hopeless? We all feel hopeless sometimes, but I know I can have hope in any situation because Jesus has given me eternal life and He will get me through anything in this life. And here is your concrete, easy, number one thing that you can do. Come to church with me this Sunday. Come to church with me this Sunday. I'll meet you in the parking lot. You can sit right by me. I'll buy you lunch. 
Or bring them to me and the preacher will buy them lunch. I love doing that. I'm asking the worship team to come up. Here's the heartbreaking fact. The heartbreaking fact that many of us feel, many of us know intimately, the heartbreaking fact is within 10 miles of where I'm standing right now, there are 30,000 unchurched people. 30,000 unchurched people. How many of them are not saved? All of them? 99% of them? 90%? And the heartbreaking fact, 30,000 unchurched people within 10 miles, the other heartbreaking fact is the vast, vast, vast majority of American Christians will never, will live their life, saved men and women, coming to church and never sharing the Gospel with a lost person. So, my hope, my prayer for Trinity Baptist Church is that we understand our purpose. Our purpose is to make faithful followers of Jesus. My prayer is that we get in the bloodstream of our people this love of the Gospel, understanding of the Gospel, that we are so joyful in who Jesus is and what He's done for us that we can't help but share it. My hope is that we get in the bloodstream of Trinity this, these eyes that see their life a little different, these people that come in and out of their lives that we start to see them as sinners that Jesus has come to save. So, in a moment we're going to stand and sing. I'm going to ask you to, to do two things today. Number one, if you're a Christian, I'm going to ask you to, to be thinking about and praying for one lost person in your life. Be praying that God presents an opportunity for you to speak the Gospel or to give an invitation to church. Number two, if you're here today you're not a believer, let's don't play games with God. Are you married to sin? Are you following sin? If that's the case, then and Scripture is really clear that all who turn away from Jesus and follow sin will end up in hell. Jesus has come offering forgiveness of sins, offering to transform you from a person following sin to a person who is a son or daughter of the Most High God. And our call for you today is the same thing we've heard from Jesus. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus. So during these songs, would you think about those things?